Good morning, everyone. It is great uh, to be with you all this morning. Uh, it feels like we've got the whole Stand By Me Northern Ireland family in church this morning, which is great because Danny's here, Laura's here, and our two apprentices, Karis and Matthew, have also decided to stay in uh, for this one. This morning, I want us to think about how there is hope in every story. Uh, over the last almost 10 years that I've been working for Stand By Me, I've had the opportunity to step into different scenarios and homes and spend time with people. And amidst sometimes the hardship that is seen, we have to see the hope. We have to see the hope. And even as we think about the state that our world is in at the minute, we have to try and see the hope in that because we as followers of Jesus are called to be people that bring hope into every story. And so uh, this morning we're going to start, we're going to be in John 5. If you have a Bible, if you have an app on your phone, feel free uh, to look it up. John 5 is very much a story about waiting. And I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I absolutely detest it. Over the summer, uh, we moved house, which was a big thing. We've been in our old house for 14 years, and finally we felt a pinch of space and we needed to move. And I've discovered, I mean, I should have known this a long time ago, I'm an unusual person because I loved the process of moving house. From start to finish, I thought it was brilliant. I would do it again tomorrow. Kids should have had your fingers in your ears for that. But I would do it again tomorrow. Absolutely loved all the little bits that you had to coordinate and line up and get everything ready to go. And then came moving day. Now, if the TA ever need a logistics expert, I am their man, because moving day went exactly how I had planned. Paul Daniels arrived at 9 a.m. The removal company arrived at half past nine in the morning. They left our house at half past 10. I was paying them by the hour. You can see where we were going here. At half past 10, 11 o'clock, we closed up the house, we took our keys, we handed them in, we drove to Ballyclare, we said, what about the keys? And they said, you have to wait. Laura saw a very different version of me for the next hour. An hour later, they phoned and they said, right, okay, you've got the keys, you can go. We got to our new house, we got the removal company in at 12.15 and they were out at 1.15. I am available if any of you are moving house, if you need anyone to help in that process. And more to the point, so's Paul. I'm just going to put that out there because he was a machine. Um, I hate waiting. And truthfully, if, I, if I'm honest, I hate waiting because it's often the things that are outside of our control. Uh, I love whenever I can have a plan. I love when that plan goes to plan. But when you're waiting, it's often because you're dependent on someone or something else. And that can be difficult. And in the story that we're going to touch on this morning, we meet someone who's not been waiting for an hour. We meet someone who's been waiting for an incredibly long time. It says this, starting in verse 1 of John 5. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters bubble up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. 
Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his mat and began walking. It's this incredible story. It's this incredible moment of encounter. It's this incredibly long period of time to be waiting, 38 years. For context, I'm 38 years old. That is the equivalent of me waiting my entire lifetime. And what's he waiting for? Well, he's waiting because there's this belief that the people had. And in some of our Bibles, it'll have a verse for. Sometimes it's kind of in the footnotes. And it gives us a little bit of a picture of what he was waiting for. John tells us about it. He's not necessarily telling us that this is exactly what was truly happening, but he gives us the context for what people thought was happening, that they were waiting for a certain movement of the water. There was a belief that an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water, and the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. God is not the sort of God that creates these scenarios. These scenarios where people have to push and fight and compete in order to access his grace. And yet the people had this understanding that when the water was stirred up, it was, it was a race to see who could get there first. And your prize if you got there first was that you got to experience God's goodness. And the inevitable second point of that is that nobody else did. And I don't believe that that is the God that we serve. I don't believe that that is the God that we love and that we follow. What type of a God would do this? God will never create a scenario where he chooses you to win and others to lose. He's just not like that. He's not like that. You can know that you're on a journey with God if you care about the success of others as much as you care about your own. You can know you're on a journey with God if you care about the welfare of others as much as you care about your own. You know that you're on a journey with God if you love your neighbor, neighbor as you love yourself. And yet here is this man in this competition competing to try and earn the grace, the healing of God. And in the midst of this, hope steps into his story. Jesus draws close enough to encounter him and to bring hope to him. We're told when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? It's an unusual question, but it's a valid question because this question, the answer to this question changes everything. If this man is made well, the last 38 years of his life look very different to the next 38 years of his life because his whole life will be transformed in this moment. And so God is not a God who forces or imposes himself on us, but rather he's a God who invites us to take hold of the hope that there is in front of us. And so the question is an invitation, would you like to get well? And we get a glimpse of where this man is in the first two words of his response. I can't. I can't. 
And then he recounts his experience because for 38 years, I've seen other people push ahead. I've seen other people get ahead of me. I've seen other people get there first. And the people that used to help me, well, they've stopped helping me or they've moved on. And yet here I am, I can't get well. This man cannot see the hope that is in his story because here in front of him is the healer. Here in the midst of his story is hope. And Jesus turns to him and says these simple words, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. We're told that instantly he is healed. Instantly hope breaks into his story. His life is changed. His life is transformed. And his story isn't just for him. His story is also for all of us. Here we have this nameless man who has gone down in history as someone whose life has been transformed by seeing hope in the midst of his own story. And so it's an encouragement for us today to see the hope in every story. And this morning what we want to do is share with you some stories from the last couple of years of how we've seen God at work in the lives of the kids in our care. And to get us started, Danny's going to come and tell us a little bit about Kenya. Good morning, thank you. It's so good to be with you all this morning. As Johnny said, he uh, two things about what he just said. He doesn't like waiting, and he doesn't like things that are out of his control. So he's given me seven minutes this morning, and if I go over that, you can see he'll start to sweat. Um, but uh, it's so, so good to be with you this morning. Um, at Stand By Me, we do believe that there is hope in every story. There can be hope in every story. And at Stand By Me, over the last couple of years, we took a huge, huge step of faith, um, a huge step to reach out to kids in a different country than where we worked. Um, we took a step to go to a project in Kenya. And myself and Johnny had the privilege to go and visit uh, that pro project in Kenya. We had an absolutely incredible time simply because of the kids that we met. They were absolutely incredible kids. Um, and we had the amazing privilege of going to visit some of the kids that were in our school there. Um, and we had such an amazing time with uh, the kids there. It's a very, very invasive thing sometimes for, for somebody to come into your home, especially people who have come from all the way on the other side of the world. Uh, we were welcomed so, so well by this first girl um, that I want to introduce you to. Um, her name is Faith, if the clicker works. Um, super, thank you. Um, so Faith uh, is an incredible, incredible young girl. Um, we travelled to her house. Um, her house is in a very, very rural part of where we work. Um, it looks absolutely incredible. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful location. On a hillside, there's a river down by where she, where she lives. You can see here on the screen, the left-hand side of the building, uh, the building there is her house. It's a two-roomed mud hut house where she lives um, with her family. And on the right-hand side, a little grass-hutted kitchen that she uses with the family. Um, she has an incredibly difficult life. It looks absolutely idyllic where she lives, but the challenges she, she faces each and every day are huge. Um, as I said, she lives there with her two brothers and her sister. And at 15 years of age, Faith is responsible for the whole family. 
She lives there with her mother, but her mom unfortunately has arthritis, and so every single day, Faith would lift her mom off the floor so that she could just get up and get around each and every day. She's an incredible, incredible young girl. She has so many things to do around the house. She fetches water from the river close by, and she cooks all the meals for the whole family, and at just 15 years of age, she is responsible for her whole family. But the incredible thing here to know about her story, there is hope within this story. She's an incredible young girl with so, so much potential. Whenever we arrived, um, she was sitting doing homework. Um, she absolutely loves to learn. She's a huge dream for the future. She sees the hope in her future. And at Stand By Me, we know that we can help her along the way. And in fact, whenever she, we arrived as well, she was actually helping her little brother with the things that she had learned at school. You can see here, um, they had a very inventive way of, of writing their homework on the side of their house with a stick. Uh, very, very inventive. But they're just, they're incredible, incredible kids with so much potential, with so much hope for the future. And Faith is part of the program in our school, so she comes along every single day to our school. She walks for one hour to get to school from where she lives. She starts at 6 a.m. in the morning to get to school for seven. She's a very driven young girl, but we are so, so proud of her. Um, inside her house, as I said, there are many, many challenges for her. Inside her house, we took this little picture of one of the rooms. Um, as you can see, it's very, very basic. Um, a few blankets just on the floor where she sleeps alongside her family. We would often just huddle up together to try and keep warm. They were sleeping on the floor. Um, and lots of you will have heard what I'm going to say next. A big fundraiser of ours, February on the floor. Uh, one of the big fundraisers we do every single year. We ask people here to give up their beds, to sleep on the floor, to raise money for our boys and girls all around the world. And that's one of the things that we do that transforms homes. But this next picture will show you just how transformed that home is. See the simple gift of a bed. You can see Faith's little brother. He is chuffed. He is smiling from ear to ear. He's actually, he was actually first to claim the top bunk. He was straight up there. He absolutely loved Loved the fact that he had a brand new bunk bed. Bunk beds aren't that common in Kenya. Absolutely amazing. They were so happy. In fact, they invited all their friends around, which is a really strange thing. Imagine asking your friends to come and see your bed. Very, very strange, but that's how excited they were. That's how much they knew a gift of a bed meant. See, their home, their home has been transformed. Home is somewhere we all have familiar things at home, some homes somewhere we hold close to our hearts. And for lots of our kids, there's so many challenges at home. Home should be a place of rest, of security, of all of those things. And it's often those simple little things like the gift of a bed that makes a really, really big difference. But for lots of our boys and girls, like Faith, um, like many, many others, home is that place where there's lots and lots of challenges. But for some of our boys and girls as well, home is a place that simply doesn't exist. Um, some, of our, so, some of our boys and girls, for one reason or another, simply don't have that place to call home, simply don't have that place of security, the place to be themselves. Um, and I want to introduce you to one of the, the boys that we look after in one of the homes that we look after. I'm actually going to let Solomon, his house parent, do the talking, his house father, um, in one of the homes we, we look after, boys and girls in Kenya. He's going to tell you the story of this incredible young boy called Belliot. Thank you. 
my name is Solomon. I'm married to Sarah. Uh, together we've worked here at the village for the last 10 years, taking care of children that are less fortunate. Um, most of them are orphans and abandoned children. We have seen lives being transformed in this village and uh, hope being restored. One of the children under our care is uh, Belliot. Belliot is a cheerful boy who loves dancing and playing around. He's a very, very uh, good child to be around. A few years ago, one of the ladies who was farming had uh, dogs barking. She went over to check what was happening. Upon getting to the farm, he found a, a baby whose uh, body was covered with safari hands, and he was crying, and the dogs were barking. He picked up the boy and uh, took him to the nearest police station. The policeman took off his jacket and grabbed the boy and took him to the nearest hospital. It is at that point when the hospital got in touch with us and uh, requested if we could take him in. I did not been for this young lady who was uh, farming, would have easily lost this boy. We've seen him uh, transform from that boy that he once was to to the boy that is so cheerful and full of life that he is today. Belliot is joyful, is uh, always happy and charming, and uh, we really love him being around. Because it really makes the home very warm and uh, very welcoming, and also they being like a family. They love each other. They cherish being around each other. So most people don't know him by his first name, which is Ephraim. We always know him by his nickname which is Belliot, uh, which locally means an elephant. As small as he is, uh, he has a bigger life. Everybody would, would think that he would give up, but he never gave up. He fought until he won the battle, and now he's here with us. My hope for, for, for Belliot is uh, definitely for him is to fulfill his dreams, because uh, I know God has a, a purpose for him. This is somebody who, who, who is full of potential of becoming anything that God wanted him to become. As small as he is, he has a bigger life. There is, there is hope in every story, and uh, spending time with Belliot, we could so clearly see that hope that was being brought into his life. And his story is a story that continues to be rewritten since we were out in Kenya. We've found a family that have adopted Belliot uh, in Kenya, who are now looking after him, who are raising him, and we are so excited for his future. In the midst of hardship, there is hope. 
Uh, earlier this year, I headed off uh, to Ethiopia uh, to spend a little bit of time uh, with some of our kids and with our staff. Uh, and for me, my highlight on any trip is always the opportunity to get to go and spend time with people in their homes, to get to hear firsthand about what life is like and the impact that is happening as people reach out to bring God's love into different settings and scenarios for different families. Uh, the little girl you can see on the screen behind me is a little girl called Kia. And Kia is one of the newest kids to have joined our Stand By Me family. She started in our kindergarten last year. Um, we traveled up to spend some time at her home to find out a little bit about what life was like for her. And we met her mom and we met her little brother. Unfortunately for Kia, their dad passed away just over a year ago, and so now Kia's mum looks after these two wonderful little children. She is incredibly driven and incredibly determined to provide a future for her kids. As we arrived at their house, uh, it was, again, one of the smallest houses that I've ever seen. Uh, you'll see this small uh, mud hut. Oh, can we go back one? Oh, clicker, clicker. There we go. Oh, oh, we've gone back four. Hang on. This is why I shouldn't be in control. This is what this means. Right, Danny, I'll let you do that. There's a photo, there we go, of her house. Um, we arrived up, the house is in a little compound, and, and what you can see here, these two wooden doors, is actually two separate houses, two separate homes. Uh, if I reached out my arms, I could touch both walls. That was the extent of this little place that they called home. Uh, I asked Kia's mum how much money she earned and she explained that she goes and she helps to bake bread uh, each day or every other day as often as she can find work. And every single month she earns 300 burr, which is five pounds. She explained to me that to rent this little house cost 240 burr, which is four pounds, which leaves you one pound to try and get by for the rest of the month. Uh, the challenges as you step inside were clear and obvious. The daily reminders of the tasks, the obstacles that our kids face, the jerry cans that sit by the door. And I asked Kia's mum, some of our families, they would be able uh, to go and buy a little bit of water in the town from a little stand tap, but if you have such limited income, then you have to go, you have to collect it. I asked Kia's mum where they collected it, and she said, do you want to come and see? And so we walked down to this little point at this little river, uh, as Kia brought that big yellow jerry can, and as she started to skim the water off the top, because her mum explained to her that that water might just be a little bit cleaner. I'm not going to lie, it's, it's moments like that that break my heart because this is the 21st century. We think about the world that we live in. How can this continue to be what life is like for people? As I explained, Kia's mom is incredibly driven. Uh, and so what she does in her spare time is she makes these wonderful baskets. She weaves grass together. She puts these baskets together in the hope that she can take them to the market and sell them to try and generate a little bit more of an income. And when we saw how difficult things were for Kia, for her family, we knew that we had to act. 
we knew that we had to do something. And so Brooke, who heads up our work, he invited her down to the school, had a conversation with her and explained that we were gonna give Kia a place in our school. And I asked her mom, I was like, what did it feel like on that day? And she said this, she said, I laughed, I danced and I sang my whole way home because I knew that life would be so different. Now, every single morning, Kia gets up, uh, she puts on her school bag, she grabs her, her uniform, she gets everything she needs for the day, and she comes down to our school where she is looked after so incredibly well, where she gets an opportunity to have two meals a day, where she gets clean water, where she gets medical care, and where she gets a chance to be a child. She gets a chance to hope and to dream of a better future. It's lives that are being transformed. It's hope entering every story. And as we do this, I suppose the the question that often comes up is, does it really make a difference? And so I wanna show you a short film in the background here of one of our girls who some of you who've been to Ethiopia will no doubt recognize. Her name is Meheret. I've known Meheret for almost 10 years now. If I want to pop that wee film up, it would be great. And um, Meheret is an incredible young girl who many years ago was just like Kia, growing up through our care. A few years ago, Meheret's story changed a little because her stepdad decided that now was the time at 14 years old that she should move out of the family home. And so she was left with nowhere to go, and so our staff came in to make sure that she could find a place to call home. We were able to get her a little mud hut in a good compound not too far from her family in the hope that that relationship could be maintained. Miharet now finds herself as a young lady trying to look after herself, doing all of the daily chores, preparing food, looking after her home, fetching water, all of the daily challenges are hers. And yet, in the midst of all of this, she has not given up because there is hope in her story. She's driven and and when she was coming to our school, she just a couple of years ago sat her grade eight exams, which are our big national exams. And they determine whether you get to high school. Miharet didn't just pass those exams, she excelled in those exams. And so she has achieved the next step of her dream. She now gets to go to the government high school where every single day for four hours a day, she gets to move on in her journey but she is still very much a Stand By Me child. We make sure that she still gets food each day, that she has her uniform. We wanna make sure that she has the support that she needs. The high school is vast. There are 5,000 children that go to the high school. It is not unusual for a class to have up to 150 kids in one class. And so we know that the quality of education dips massively. But we don't want there to be obstacles in the way of kids like Meheret achieving their dreams. Often in a culture like the culture in Ethiopia, boys tend to be favoured over girls and the girls are quite reluctant to go and ask male teachers for fear or worry of what that might happen by drawing attention to themselves. And so Meheret has enormous dreams and we don't want the day-to-day obstacles to stop that. She, when I asked her, she said she longs to go on to university because she wants to become an engineer. 
She has huge opportunities in front of her. And we want to make sure that as we walk that journey with her, that nothing gets in the way. And so one of the things that we are hugely excited to be doing is we are building a high school center in Ethiopia. This is, this is the fancy bit. If you've ever had plans drawn for anything, this is the bit where you go, ooh, this is what it could look like. This is what it did look like in May when I was there. Now, I'm no builder, but that don't look like much. It was a lot of big holes in the ground. And yet, over the last number of months, we've started to get photograph after photograph coming through to see progress, to start to see the floors going in. The next one, you'll see columns going up. And on the next one, again, I'm not a builder, but that looks like the world's most incredible scaffolding. So it does. And this is going to become a high school center, a place of safety for our high school kids. Uh, for many of our girls in particular, whenever they're going to their tutorial classes, they tend to be at night. And the high school's right on the outskirts of town, and so they're worried, they're fearful about making that journey on their own. And so they don't want to go, and so they miss out. And yet what we're doing is building a center right in the middle of town, which will be open during the day, so that kids like Meharet can go on to achieve their dreams. I want to say a huge thank you. I want to say a couple of thank yous really this morning. Firstly, I want to say a thank you to everyone collectively here for the support that Carrick Vineyard provide to our kids because that support makes an enormous difference. It enables us to be able to provide life-changing care to kids like Kia and Meharet and Belliot and Faith. And I want to say a thank you to all of you as, as our church community, as our church family for that support. I also look out and I see many people who I know sponsor and support kids and have that individual connection and relationship. And so I want to thank you and I want to encourage you that that does bring hope into every story. The letters you write, the prayers you pray, the encouragement that you send brings hope into those stories. And I want to offer you an invitation this morning. If you don't currently sponsor a child or you want to find your part that you can play in the Stand By Me story, do come and chat to myself or Danny or Laura afterwards at the stand. We would love to share a little bit more with you. And we have some uh, sponsor packs there of our kids who still need that sponsor to bring hope into their story. As we finish, I want to pick up just two verses that I omitted uh, from the passage earlier. They're right at the end uh, of this story in John 5. We find out that instantly the man is healed, and then we read these words. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. In the midst of this story of transformation, we find that the Pharisees can't even see the miracle because they're so focused on the mat. They can't see the extraordinary of what's happened because they've seen the breach of their everyday ordinary that they try and follow. And in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our day to day, as we go into this week, I want to challenge us to, to change our perspective. Because when we change our perspective, we see the God who is at work. 
And so often our eyes can be drawn to the wrong thing. It can be drawn to the negative as opposed to seeing the positive, as opposed to seeing the transformation that God is doing. And the wonderful thing is we're his ambassadors. Jesus chose to step into that place. Jesus knew that that was the place where the sick and the broken and the hurting were. And yet Jesus chose to enter by the sheep gate. The shepherd went in by the sheep gate to be there, to encounter people and to bring hope into their story. The Pharisees couldn't even see the hope that there was. And yet the invitation for each of us from Jesus as we walk into this week is we not only get to see the hope in the story, but we also get to be the hope in the story. We get to bring the hope, this wonderful message of love, of grace, of transformation. We get to bring this into the lives of others. And so as we step into this week, we do so with eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who brings hope into every story, the healer who is not over there, but is here in our midst, wanting to work in the lives of the people that we will encounter on the other side of our street and in the stories of kids right across the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God who is present. God, we thank you that you are the God who is with us. God, we thank you that you are a God of encounter who draws close enough to not only see our brokenness and suffering, but to bring hope and to bring healing into those stories. God, we thank you that your grace extends beyond this stirring of the waters for just one person. And we see it on, a, on an outstretched arms and a cross for everyone. God, we thank you that your grace is at work right across this world, from Carrickfergus to Ethiopia to Kenya. And God, we thank you that as people who have encountered your love and your grace and your mercy, God, that you call us to be people who carry that hope into the lives of others. God, that you invite us to be part of this incredible story of what you're doing in this world. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have rewritten our stories. But God, we thank you that you send us out as ambassadors of hope, that you send us out to be people who carry this message to the ends of the earth. And so, God, this week, would you give us courage, God, for the spaces and the places that we step into, would we be people who bring hope into every story for Jesus' sake and for his glory alone. In his name we pray, amen.